the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one in the wilderness of this world and life, crying, make straight every crooked path, prepare ye the way of the Lord, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We began to look at the subject matter of the flesh um, in our last broadcast. At that time, we tried to put that term, the flesh, in the context that we intend to discuss. We noted that the flesh could, be, uh, could mean something that describes both men and animals. It could also be something that speaks of um, the human body or the human being or any living creature. But in the context of our discussion, these do not fall into what we mean by the flesh. That is in the context of our discussion. Now, in the context of our discussion, the word flesh describes that nature of man, that earthly nature of man, apart from the divine influence of God by his spirit that makes man to be prone to sin. It is therefore, we, we refer to the flesh therefore, as the sinful nature or the sin-loving nature that is in man. Because it is a nature that accommodates and tolerates sin. Anything that is sin, anything that is of that nature of sin, is welcomed by the flesh. As a result of that, we noted that the flesh, this subject of the flesh, is central to the gospel message because the message of the gospel is it, it came to dislodge the flesh which had always been the problem of man and i think we explained it but let me explain again when man uh as we live rather as we live our daily lives on the earth we are prone to committing sin now as a result of sin which comes into our lives because of this nature which we have that loves to sin. This nature, by the way, is the nature that we acquire. We, we were born with it. That is why you, you tell lies. You don't need to go to a school where they teach you to lie. You do it. It is natural for you to do. We, we do things that are sinful by nature, by rote. It is just a part of man. Now, because of the sinful nature of man, this sinful nature of man, we cannot have any relationship with God. God hates sin. He doesn't hate man. Because the Bible says, God so loved the world, or loved man, that he uh, gave his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay the price for sin, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, that he should not die eternally, but have everlasting life. So man is loved by God, but there is sin in man. So because of the sin nature in man, God keeps his distance from man. Now, so the gospel message has come about because God wants to redeem man back to himself by eliminating this nature of sin and drawing man to himself. So the, the issue of the flesh is at the core, it is central to the gospel message. If man did not have the nature of sin, then the message of the gospel was unnecessary. If man did not have the nature of sin, then Christ did not need to come and pay the price for sin, which is what he did when he came um, to the cross, when he came to the world and went onto the cross. He paid the price of death. For sin, because sin must be punished. God does not spare sin anywhere it finds it. It must, he must kill sin, must be dealt with. And the, the, the way to deal with sin is death. But when sin is in a man, is intertwined with man, the only way to release sin is to kill the flesh. Because that is where sin is resident. That is where sin is accommodated. That's where sin is tolerated. The flesh. So you must kill the flesh to eradicate sin from man. Now, to be able to appreciate this, we read Romans chapter 8 uh, from verse 1 to 9. So let me take verse 9 again and read it to verse 14, explain it, uh, pick one or two other scriptures, and then by the grace of God, we should be done with 
this subject and then we'll be able to tie it with something else as we move on in our discussion. So Romans chapter 8 verse 9, we had discussed the fact that the flesh also described as the carnal man, the, the, um, the, 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 the old nature or the old man is not subject to God, is at war, is hostile to God and is, is unable to obey God. Even when you try, which is why we make many resolutions to live a godly life, but we find it difficult so to do because of this nature of the flesh that prevents us from living as God wants us to live. We may desire to live right before God, but because of the nature of the flesh, we are unable to do that. I, I think I, I explained the issue of the goat when I said that if you were to take the, a goat, let's assume that the goat can, can speak, can understand things. You take the goat to church and the pastor is preaching about goat food and tells the goat that, look, you must eat fodder and not grass on the field. Now, no matter how much you pr keep preaching that, any time the goat goes back home and tries very hard to avoid eating grass, the moment the smell of, the, of wet grass or juicy grass comes to him, he, he cannot resist it. He may try for some time, but he will eventually go and eat grass. The reason is simple. The nature of the goat is to eat grass. No amount of church going will change, the, will make the grass, the goat, the goat rather, to stop eating grass. The only way you are going to get that goat to stop eating grass is to remove that grass-eating nature in the goat and put a nature that loves fodder. Otherwise, you'll be wasting your time. In the same way, the only way to stop man from continuing to live in sin before God is to remove that nature of sin that is in man. Then man will be able to live as God wants him to live. And this is the central message of the gospel. The gospel is about bringing man to the place where he realizes that his real problem, his real challenge is the flesh and that the flesh must be taken to the place where it is to be killed and that it is only after the flesh has been killed that man can be truly free to serve God as he ought to. So let's go back to Romans chapter 8 verse 9. It says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his now, what that verse is saying, like we explained the last time, is that there, there are two things here. You have the flesh and you have the spirit. As long as the flesh is in you, which is the old man, the spirit cannot do much. So for the spirit of God to rise within you and be effectual in your life, the flesh must be crucified. Because what is happening is that whilst the flesh is strong in your life, it is going to be at war with the Spirit of God, who is seeking to come in because you repented and requested God to come into your life. God comes into your life through His Spirit. So in an attempt to come into your life, He encounters the flesh that is resisting Him. Don't forget the flesh is hostile to God. So no matter what the Spirit of God is telling you to do, as long as the flesh is there, you are going to be struggling. Even though you know that you are born again, you know that you decided to give your life to Christ, but this thing called flesh is still there and it must be dealt with. Sadly, many people grow in their Christian lives without realizing and appreciating that this is the problem. So you find people high up, even in, the, even in Christian ministry, bishops engaging in adultery or fornication, as the case may be, engaging in stealing, in theft, and all other things, all other ungodly and unholy uh, 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 living. And we begin to wonder, how can somebody at that height of spiritual, uh, that, 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 that kind of spiritual height be engaged in such a thing? The answer is simple. He never dealt with the flesh. So the flesh has no respect for your title. The title does not eliminate the flesh. The flesh can only be eliminated through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now I seem to be getting 
ahead of myself on this. But it's okay to explain it to you so that by the time we get to that conclusion, you will have a fuller understanding of what we are discussing here. So, if the Spirit of God is in you, then you are Christ's. And if you are Christ's, it means that the flesh has been dealt with. This is what the gospel message is about. Now, in verse 10, it says, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, what he's saying is that this body, this human body that we have, is going to die because of sin. Sin has brought death to the body. There's nothing we're going to do about it. However, if we are Christ's, then the Spirit of God is in us. And because the Spirit of God is in us, we have life. Christ, in coming to us, brought in life. The Bible says, the Lord Jesus said, I think in uh, John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So he brought life to us. He brought eternal life, which we begin to live from here on. However, this body, this flesh, this body, now not the, not the nature, but this physical body that we're in, that we're living in, which is our tabernacle, is going to drop off because of sin's consequence upon it. Now, however, because the Spirit of God is dwelling in us, because the Spirit of God has come into us, we will have life. And that Spirit makes us to live righteously. So, my spirit man, where the Spirit of God is lodged in, is going to be engaged in righteous uh, conduct. However, if the flesh is there, because the flesh is going to be in my spirit man as well, which is why I think we read the last time, the Bible telling us to put off the old man and put on the new man. We cannot put on the Spirit of God if the old man is still there. So we have a situation where People are speaking in tongues, but they are engaging in ungodly conduct. Why? Because of the presence of the flesh in their lives. So we are having contradictions within us. Galatians 5 explains it, and we are going to get to that place where we'll look at the explanation of Galatians chapter 5. So let me just continue to read Romans chapter 9. And then in verse 10 it says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So ultimately, this mortal body is going to regain that life, even though it dies as a result of sin, is buried in the earth. But when the resurrection of the dead will take place, that is the first resurrection, then what is going to happen is that this mortal body will be given life, it will become uh, uh, an immortal body. Mortality will put on immortality and then we will live again in our bodies like Christ lived again in his body where they saw the marks of the nail on, on his hands and on his side. Now, that is what the Bible is saying here. Because the Spirit of God is in us. Now, I need to explain this a little further. When you get born again, the Spirit of God comes within you to indwell you. It comes within you to begin to deal with the flesh, to what we call sanctification, to sanctify you, to make you able to obey God. The flesh present there does not allow you to obey God. So it is the work of the Holy Spirit through sanctification to crucify, to mortify, to make, to render ineffectual and ineffective indeed to crucify the flesh so that that nature is removed and a godly nature can arise in us. Now, as we relate with God, when we now mature to the place where we can serve God, the Spirit of God comes upon us so that we can serve God. In coming upon us, we the physical evidence that He is upon us is when we begin to speak in tongues. The, the manifestation of the Spirit within us is the change in our lives. So with, that is what explains why somebody can be speaking in tongues and still be living in sin because the Spirit of God came upon him to serve but the one within him came within him to change his character, to mold his character into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But because of the presence of the flesh and his own refusal to let the flesh die, he has a conflict. In verse 
12 now, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. He said, we don't owe the flesh anything. So we are not obligated to live according to the flesh. We have chosen a different lifestyle and must therefore let the flesh go. If, for example, you owed somebody money and because you owe that person money, that fellow keeps harassing you. You are indebted to him and that's why he's harassing you. The day you pay up that debt, you know that he dares not come to harass you. Because the, the docility that surrounded you be, because you were owing him and he was harassing you will change. You are going to be upset with him that I have finished paying you. What business do I have with you? It is my decision whether I'm going to be your friend or not. And I say, I don't want to be your friend. I owed you something. I've paid you. And that's it. Let's be done. So it's the same thing here. The flesh... You were indebted to the flesh at some point in time. But when the Spirit of God came into you, you do not owe the flesh anything. Your, your, your relationship with the flesh is supposed to be done and done with. The flesh must be allowed to go to its execution ground. Do not resist the Holy Spirit when he wants to deal with the flesh. We'll be discussing a little bit of that when it comes to when we look at how the flesh is to be dealt with. Now, in verse 13 it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That is, if you are led, if you allow this nature to determine the things that you do, you will die. Eternal death, that is, you will be eternally separated from God. So you can go to church, you can speak in tongues, but if you are led, even when you are prophesying in quotes, that prophecy, if it is because the flesh is leading you, perhaps because you have seen a lot of big men in the church and you believe that if you prophesy to them, they will give you money, you are going to hell. That's what he's saying here. So, so that you don't go to hell, that is why the gospel came. So you cannot therefore, having received the gospel, continue in sin. You must let sin go. You must be separated from it permanently the gospel message has the power to separate you from from the flesh in other words to kill the flesh because death scripturally means a separation between one thing and the other if somebody were to shoot me with a gun and i'm mortally or fatally injured then what happens is that my spirit will be separated from my body and people will say, I have died. The reality is that the body dropped, but my spirit is still alive. Now, that spirit that, ha that has come alive can either live eternally or die. And that at that point in time, the death of the spirit is in either it is, uh, the, the, the death of the spirit is when it now becomes separated from God. The place where spirits that are separated from God eternally dwell is in hell but when a man dies and the spirit of god is in him then his spirit is, re, is is reunited with god in eternity but where what he has is not the spirit of god but rather it is the flesh then he's eternally separated remember i think is in recall that i think it's in genesis uh chapter 11 or so where god said that his spirit will not always dwell with, will not always strive rather with man. And he gave man a limit for the spirit of God to strive with him. That is to, to, to struggle to bring man to God. He says 120 years is the time that his spirit has to struggle with man. At the end of it all, if the man resists the Holy Spirit, then the spirit of God has nothing to, can, cannot help it anymore. And so the man eternally perishes but we know that in our generation nobody is living up to 120 years so even though we are within the 120 year span when the spirit has to strive with man but we don't live up to that it means that we have just a limited window within which to have the spirit of of, of god deal with the issue of the flesh 
and therefore we can live with God. I go back to verse 13 again. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, if you are directed by the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, if you are living according to the spirit, if you are directed by the spirit, that is, you have, your body has been freed, your, your, your flesh has been removed, and now you are directed solely by the spirit without interference from the flesh, then you will live. He says, but if by the spirit you put to death through sanctification, you put to death the deeds of the body, the, 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 the um, what do you call it now? The fleshly acts, the, the things that we normally do in this body, which is activated or actuated by the flesh. If we allow the Spirit of God to come and put it to death, then you says you will live. You will live eternally. Why? Because having put to death the things that the flesh was actuating before, now what we have is that we are now beginning to live only by the Spirit. The bottom line is that when you came to Christ, the goal was for you to live according to the will of God. But because the flesh is contrary to God and therefore to the will of God, the flesh does not allow you to live uh, the, the will of God. However, if we were to allow the Spirit of God to come in and yield this flesh to him to kill, then will be living according to the Spirit of God and doing the will of God. So in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible speaks of the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. The fleshly man can go to church. The fleshly man can read the Bible. The fleshly man can pray in tongues. However, when it comes to obeying the word of God, he cannot. He cannot. He has reasons and excuses not to obey God. In fact, this is why many people get involved in false doctrine and wrong interpretation of scripture to suit the flesh. The spirit of God can never argue with the word of God. He can never dispute with the word of God because the spirit of God is the author of the word of God in written form to us. Holy men of God documented this as the Spirit of God gave them the inspiration to write. In verse 14, it then says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Who is the Son of God? The person who is born again? No. A Son of God is the person who is led by the Spirit of God. By that token, is a person in whom the flesh has been destroyed. And so the Spirit of God has access to now lead him as God wants him to be led. In Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, reading from verse 16, the Bible says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Allow the Spirit of God to lead you, to direct you, to show you the path in which to walk. It says, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, the desire of that fleshly nature. If you would allow the Spirit of God in you that kills it, that kills the flesh, that is, and you, so, you, 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 you surrender yourself into the hands of the Spirit of God to walk with Him and in the path that He has charted for you, you will not be able to accomplish what the flesh is asking you to accomplish. Because the Spirit of God has, as it were, incubated you and pushed off, the, thus rendering the flesh ineffectual and ineffective. And by talking of the loss of the flesh, it's talking of the desires that well up within us in the absence of the flesh. Where the flesh is not a part, or where, where the flesh rather is a part of your body, is a part of your, your composition, even though you are a Christian, if there is any desire that is coming, it will be accomplished. But where the flesh has been subdued and the Spirit of God is, in, is firmly in charge, whatever de desires come will not find anything to arouse. Why? Because the Spirit of God cannot be aroused to do evil. So when you find somebody doing evil, and you, find, you hear him say, the Spirit told me to do it. You know that that is a man 
who has been acting under the influence of the flesh, but now lying against the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit of God cannot ask you to do something contrary to the Bible. The Spirit of God, for example, cannot ask you to divorce your wife. He cannot because God says, I hate divorce. He cannot ask you to, be, to, to divorce your husband because God says, I hate divorce. God acknowledges the fact that there can be difficulties in marriage and so fine. There's room for separation, temporal separation, not permanent separation. And even at that, he expects you to return back. But let's even give him that somebody were to separate. And even though that separation is not permitted for two Christians who married as Christians, it is only permitted in the case of two unbelievers who got married as unbelievers and one of them became a believer whilst the other was an unbeliever. Now, where the unbeliever now is not content to remain with the believer, then the unbeliever is free to go. The believer is not to, is, is, he will do everything he or she can do to, re, to keep the marriage together. But if not, then let him go. However, having gone, the believer is not permitted to remarry. For as long as that fellow is alive, even if that fellow remarries himself or herself. This is the issue. Now, if the Spirit of God were in you as a believer, you'll be able to go through this. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking in Matthew chapter 19, I'm not reading it, to his disciples, and he spoke about the fact that divorce is not permitted, that Moses merely allowed it so that the men would not kill their wives, all because they want to marry somebody else but that from the beginning, it was never so. The disciples said to him, ah, this is a tough one, no? If it is like this between a man and his wife, then what is the essence of getting married? And the Lord said, not all men can receive this. There are those who were made eunuchs by men. There are those who became eunuch because of some accident or the other. And there are those who made themselves eunuch for the sake of the gospel. So what he's saying here is that that man who because of the gospel his wife or the woman because of the gospel her husband left there is the grace of god given to that person to remain now that grace of god is only effectual where the flesh has been crucified where the flesh has not been crucified the grace of god is going to be meaningless it's going to be ineffectual paul wrote he said i do not take the grace of god in vain it becomes a vain thing in your hands because you have not allowed the flesh to be killed you still want to remain in unforgiveness. You still want to remain in anger so that you can, you can accomplish what the lusts of the flesh is asking you to do. It's asking you to seek vengeance. It's asking you to do something. And because you have not surrendered yourself to the Spirit of God, you are fulfilling it. So the Bible is saying in Galatians 5.16, it says, I am saying to you, walk in the Spirit. Be open to the Spirit. Be subject to the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In verse 7 it says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So we have a situation in which you want to do A, and you are there, there, there are some things the Spirit of God is asking you to do. The flesh is coming to counter it. And you are having a, 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 a contradiction as it were. Where do I go? Where don't I go? And so on and so forth. Now the Bible is saying, Choose what the Spirit is telling you and you will not fulfill the, the, the loss of the flesh. The flesh is always there anyway to engage you, to encourage you to do something. But if you were to crucify it, then there's nothing for it to, to hold on to. In, in verse 18, it says, Now the works, verse 18, it says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, we're not saying that you are to be lawless. There are certain requirements of the law that need to be accomplished by man. When you are under the Spirit of God, the law is naturally accomplished because you are led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the one who, who knows how to fulfill the law of God. So that even though the law, by the way, the law has not been abrogated. Thou shalt not kill, is still thou shalt not kill. But when you are being led by the Spirit of God, you will not kill. And the Lord Jesus Christ gave an explanation where he said, if you were to call your, your brother, or your neighbor, a fool, you are going to hell. Why? He's saying that the issue of murder 
begins with you denigrating a human being to the point where you can justifiably kill him. So for you to get to the place where you can justifiably denigrate somebody to kill him, even if you have not committed that act, you are as good as having committed murder. Which is why he also said that for a man to look on a woman and lust after her, that man is guilty of adultery. Even though he has not committed the physical act, but in his heart he has already done it. How do we deal with that? It is by the Spirit of God. So he says, if you are led by the Spirit of God, you will fulfill every law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not uh, covet your, your, your neighbor's wife, covet your, your neighbor's uh, stuff, and so on and so forth. It's going to be fulfilled when you, are lead, when you are led by the Spirit of God. Effortlessly, without you having to wonder, what is the law? How do I do this? And we know that in the Old Testament, there are about six, 600 and something ordinances that needed to be fulfilled. How do you begin to remember all of those? But when you are led by the Spirit of God, he, the way He's leading you and the things He's asking you to do, you will accomplish every single one of the laws of God without actually living according to the law, but leading, living according to the Spirit. In, our, in verse 19, it now says, Now, the works of the flesh, the activities that surround when a man is still in the flesh. He says these things are evident. What are they? Adultery is the work of the flesh. Fornication is the work of the flesh. Uncleanness. Here we're talking of homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality. These things are works of the flesh. You cannot therefore say, I'm a Christian and you are engaging in adultery. I'm a Christian and you're engaging in fornication. I'm a Christian and you're engaging in homosexuality, in bestiality, in lesbianism. Even if your government permits it, the word of God does not permit it. You are supposed to be loyal to God and his word, not your government or your constitution. Your loyalty is first and foremost to God and his word. Secondarily, your government and your constitution. Even though God says pray for your leaders, yet loyalty is to God first and foremost and to his word. So it is what that you do. And then it now goes on also to mention lewdness, sensual dressing, sexting, those, uh, you know, flicking of the eyes, uh, twisting of, the, of, of, of your waist, things that you do to lure men, things that men do to seduce women. These are the works of the flesh. So when you see these things happening, in your life, you can see the flesh still active. So he's giving us the fruit, the result, or the things that we'll find if the flesh is still present. It now goes on in verse 20. It talks about idolatry. One of the what, 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 uh, scriptures says that covetousness is idolatry. When you want something that does not belong to you, something that you don't have, and you so desire it, you, are, you have turned that thing into an idol because you are lusting after something that you don't have, something that you can't have. It has become an idol to you. And so you are desiring something that's not there. Sorcery or witchcraft, as the case may be, which is manipulation, wanting to get something through diabolical means or through some other methods. Like, I know some women who, because they want something, they begin to cry. A lot of children do that. They start crying and have a sad face and the parents will say, oh, okay, let's provide it. Or the husband will say to the wife, okay, okay, they are, go ahead and do it. That is sorcery, manipulation. You are trying to manipulate situation to favor you when ordinarily it would not. Hatred. These are simple. These are easy to understand. Contention, struggles, jealous, je jealousies, outbursts of wrath. The Bible says that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. There are some angry, some bursts of anger. These are things that have welled up within us and then suddenly it burst out. We were trying to hold it in. We were trying to be spiritual even though the flesh was there. And one day we could not contain and we just exploded. But our bursts of wrath is the work of the flesh. Selfish ambitions is the work of the flesh. Where you can push people aside just because you want to get something. Is the work of the flesh. We see the work of the flesh amongst the people of the world. That it should not surprise us. But when we see it in the church, it becomes a problem. Where we find people struggling for ecclesiastical position, selfish ambition. Some pastors seek to engage in building projects that God has not asked them to and put a lot of burden on the congregants. 
is the work of the flesh. Dissensions or rebellion. Heresies. These are speaking things contrary to the word of God. Bringing messages that have no bearing on God and yet we say it is God. These are heresies. Heretic teachings. Envy. Murders. Drunkenness. Revelries. And the like. That is the list is endless. The list has not ended. There are other things. It says of which I tell you beforehand. Just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, will not get into heaven. If you are engaged in the, in the works of the flesh, this is a motivation to let the flesh go. And then in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit, what is the, what is the fruit, generally speaking? A fruit is something that grows, the, the, sorry, is, is the produce of a tree. When you plant a tree, when you plant a seed and it germinates and it begins to grow, you nurture the tree, the, the tree becomes mature, it buds, brings out flower, the flower falls off and in its place you see a little tiny thing and before you know what's happening, that tiny bud becomes a fruit that is still growing until it ripens and then it can pluck, it can be plucked out. So basically the fruit of the Spirit is what happens when the Spirit of God is leading you. You will find this nature in you. You will not find this other nature we spoke of, which is what happens when the flesh is leading you. When the flesh is leading you, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, dissensions, uh, envy, jealousies, and so on and so forth, murders, revelries, is what you will find in your life. But when the Spirit of God is leading you, these are the things that you are going to find, the fruit of the Spirit. And it says that they are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. By the way, self-control is not you controlling yourself. Self-control is you yielding to the control of the Holy Spirit. So when you want to get angry to do something, the Spirit of God says to you, be calm. Once you are calm, it means that you are under the control of the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls that self-control. You cannot control yourself apart from the Spirit. Now, where the Spirit of God, for example, says to you, be calm, and you're unable to be calm, and rather you want to go out and fight or go out and speak for yourself, you are no longer subject to the Spirit. What is happening to you at that point in time is the flesh is in charge. So the Bible is letting us understand and to see the difference between when you are led by the flesh and when you are led by the Spirit. When you are led by the flesh, all these sinful things will take place. But when you are led by the Spirit of God, you can only have godly things and holy things and righteousness operating in your life. He says, against such, there is no law. In other words, no law can counter these things. Every one of the fruit of the Spirit is fulfilling everything that the law says. The Bible tells us, the Lord Jesus, in fact, uh, confirmed that, that the entire law of God, all the laws of God, hang on just two laws. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy being, with all thy might, and so on and so forth. The second is like unto the first, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Says, on these two hang the entire law and the prophets. So, the fruit of the Spirit is, if you look at it, is about our, the things that come as a result of our love for God and our love for other people. If you put all of that together, that's what you will get. Against this, there is no law. Now in verse 24, it says, And those who are Christ's, those who belong to Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That is how they are able to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Without the crucifixion of the flesh, along with its passions and desires, they will not be able to produce the fruit of the Spirit. What you are going to have is going to be a problem. And this is better explained. I think we looked at that at some point in time in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. There were four soils. The first one lacked understanding. That's just uh, the wayside heart and nothing grew there. 
The second one was a stony ground, very soft soil, no depth, nothing could grow there. It only grew a little bit and it withered and died. The third one was a thorny soil in which you had thorns all over the place. And then the plant, as the, as, the, as the seed began to grow, the thorns choked this thing and it died. And the Bible refers to the thorns as the cares of this life, basically worldliness, concerns for this world, the passions within us, wanting the things, desiring the things of life. They choke the word of God and the word is unfruitful. But the one that is planted on good soil with patience and endurance goes through it and becomes fruitful. And that's what he's saying here. If the flesh has not been crucified, you are going to experience the first three soils in your life. Is that that the word will come, you will lack understanding, it will go. Or it will come, you receive it with joy, but when persecution comes, you fall, off, you fall out with God. Or the word will come in, you'll be excited about it, it begins to grow, and then the cares of this world, the, 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 the lusts or the, the, the desire for pleasures of this world, for the things of this world, will come in and choke the word. You will be wondering, why should I suffer when I can enjoy? And so the, the desire for pleasures will choke out the word of God that says to you, endure. That says to you, suffer for the sake of the gospel. You will choke that word out. And you will be unable to be fruitful. The fruit of the Spirit will not be able to manifest. But if you are Christ's, you ought to have crucified. It's, it's something that ought to have happened if you are Christ's. Crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. He says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, having said all this, let's go to Romans chapter 5 and see how all this tie in. And hopefully by the grace of God, we should be able to put this matter to bed uh, within the next 15 or so minutes. Romans chapter 5, from verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the laws, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. What is he saying here? But let, let, me, let me read it all first, and then we'll come and explain it. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift which came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, so even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What this is simply saying is, from little we can, I, I can put here, there are three dispensations that the Lord is speaking of here. The dispensation of Adam, or the dispensation where there was no direct law to obey. The dispensation of Moses, when the law was introduced. And the dispensation of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is also the dispensation of grace, where even though the law is there, we are not living according to the law, but by grace. And that grace itself does not contradict the law, but indeed enables us to fulfill the law. So under Adam, what happened? Because this is how the flesh needs to be dealt with. The flesh was released when Eve disobeyed God. It was the flesh that told Eve, the good thing about the fruit 
of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God has said, don't eat of it. Don't get me wrong. The serpent told Eve, but the decision making was from Eve. And that decision that Eve was taking came by the flesh. The flesh helps you to see the good in what God is saying is bad. The flesh helps you to justify iniquity. So what the flesh did, which was what it was when it was released, was to tell Eve, to give Eve justification for eating the fruit. So when sin was introduced through Adam, all men, regardless of who that man is, was became sinners. Even though they did not sin the sin of Adam, but sin entered into all men. And because sin entered into all men, all men died. That is, all men were separated from God. So we talk of eternal death. Even though nobody at that time, they did not sin according to God. God did not tell any one of them, don't eat this fruit. It was Adam who ate the fruit. But through Adam, sin entered into the world. And how did sin enter into the world? The flesh began to explain to Eve. That's how that nature came. Today we have that nature in us. Explaining to us. When God says something, that, that nature will say to us, how can that be? What is the justification for that? It tries to justify why we should go contrary to God. But you see, I have discovered that when you are living with God by faith, there is no justification to be made. We believe what God says and we do it. We don't ask there's something the Holy Spirit said to me, and, and, and I need to say it here. It says that the prerequisite for faith is not understanding a thing. The prerequisite for faith, rather, is our full conviction of the veracity of the Word of God. If I am convinced that this is what God is saying, and I'm doing it, then that is, that is faith. But if I am waiting to understand, first and foremost, why God is asking me to do it, then I don't have faith. It is the flesh that is at work there. It's not faith. And so, we see that sin entered into the world because of Adam. Well, Eve is kept in the background. So because of Adam, sin entered into the world and through Adam, death to all men. Even when those men never sinned according to the sin of Adam, death entered into all men. And then when the law came, instead of the law, to help man to get out of things, it, what the Lord did was to now point us to say, you see this thing you did is wrong. And something about the flesh is that each time the law is pointing to something, the flesh is so weak, it is unable to do anything about what is being pointed to it. it rather than get out of it, it actually finds itself drawn more and more to it. And that is where the quagmire is. So how do we deal with it? Now comes the dispensation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that of grace. So grace entered through Christ, bringing forgiveness to as many as will receive it or ask for it. Each time, I, each time a man realizes that he's a sinner, according to Adam, and Adam's sin gives rise, gives birth to other sins, and says, I am a sinner, grace brings forgiveness to that sin. That sin, the reason why you are being able to you are able to receive forgiveness is because Christ died for that sin. So you are not just being forgiven for nothing, but you are being forgiven because of the death of Christ. If you owed somebody money and somebody else paid that money, let's assume you're owing somebody um, say a hundred thousand naira or ten thousand dollars as the case may be, and you're unable to pay, and somebody else pays that debt. You no longer owe that debt. You are free from the debt, even though you didn't pay it. But somebody else paid. So it cost, the debt was paid. It's not that it was not paid, it was paid. And because that debt has been paid, you are free from that debt. In the same way, the debt of sin was paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he paid that debt, you are free from sin each time you come and acknowledge that you are a sinner and that you need the forgiveness of God. That forgiveness frees you from the debt to sin and enables you to cross over from death into life. 
from sinful living to godly living, from the flesh to righteousness, all because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross at Calvary. So the place where the flesh was dealt with, the, flesh, the place where the flesh was released was in the Garden of Eden. The place where the flesh was dealt with was at the cross when Jesus Christ hung on the cross. So as Adam brought in sin, Christ dealt with sin through the flesh. As sin came in through Adam through the flesh, sin was dealt with through the flesh by Christ on the cross. And so as Christ was raised from the death unto a newness of life, when we bring that flesh before the Spirit of God to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, and that flesh is crucified, a new man comes forth. In, in chapter 6 of Romans, it says from verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. He says, certainly not. How shall we, who die to sin, live any longer in it? When we came to Christ, sin, our sin was forgiven, which means our sin died. And if our sin was forgiven, the flesh that allowed the sin to stay there must also die. Now, if the flesh died, what business do we have living in sin? Because the flesh is, the, is like the anchor to which sin has a grip on man. If the flesh is no longer there, sin does not have a grip. If you have a pole that is stainless steel and you try to smear oil on it, it will, just, it will not stain it. It will just slide down. That is what happens. When the flesh has been removed, your body, your, your, your entire being is like stainless steel. No matter what sin is brought in, it cannot stick. It cannot stain you. Because the flesh has been dealt with. And what is there is the spirit to push it out, to protect as it were, to guard you. So it goes on in, in, in verse 3. It says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. To baptize is to immerse someone into something. So as many of us as were immersed into Christ, the body of Christ, which is baptism into the body by the Spirit of God, we were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Uh, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. A new life, a new beginning. The place where the flesh is dealt with is at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we go to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and we receive him, we know that at that cross, sin was forgiven and the flesh was dealt with. Let, let me read something very quickly. Verse 5, it says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Sin was dealt with when Christ went to the cross. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Because Christ died, so he's free from sin. And when he hung on the cross, he hung on the cross with our sins. Now, when we came to him, we were in Christ. So if Christ died to sin, we also died to sin. And if Christ is raised up to a newness of life, we also are raised up to a newness of life. In verse 8 it says, Now, if we died with Christ, because we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, we must live to God. We no longer live to sin. We no longer owe sin anything. We, he's, no longer, he, he's no longer our master. Because the flesh has been dealt with. It says in verse 11, Likewise, you also reckon yourself, consider yourself, take account of yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You must not give sin a place. You must understand, consider it, reckon, take account of the fact that you died with Christ. Understand this, know it. Therefore, 
verse 12. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. You are not, you are not to obey sin. Sin's direction, sin's leading. You have no business obeying sin. Why? Because you have been freed from it. Like I used the example of a debtor. If somebody, you were owing somebody money, and now somebody else has paid. If because even though you didn't pay, but somebody else paid, that fellow cannot come and take money from you again because the debt has been paid. Understand these things and allow the Spirit of God to crucify the flesh on the cross of Jesus Christ. And by faith, receive the deliverance from sin into your life. In verse 13 it says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Sin cannot have dominion over you. If you were under the law, sin will have dominion because the weakness of the, of the flesh will be, when it says, thou shalt not do this, the flesh wants to do it. But under grace, you are not told thou shalt not do it. You are only told the Spirit of God will say, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want you to sit back, I don't want you to do that. That's all. As long as you are obeying the Spirit of God, you are fulfilling the law. So you have no law to look at. You only have the Spirit of God to look at. Follow the Spirit of God and you fulfill the law. But if you follow the flesh... You are going to break the law. Because the flesh is a lawbreaker. It's lawless. The, the flesh always allows sin into it. In verse 15 it says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know? Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Who are you obeying? If you obey the Spirit of God, you are going to live. If you obey the flesh, you are going to die. Sin controls the flesh. The Spirit of God controls the spirit man. So the question is, are you ready to give up the flesh? I know it's been around you for so long. It's your emotion. It's everything about you. But I ask this question, are you ready to give up the flesh? Are you ready to, to realize that the struggles you are having with sin is because the flesh is still alive in you? Because the passions of the flesh, the desires of the flesh are still strong in you. That's why you always want to revenge. You always want to retaliate. You always want to do something to hurt somebody else. You want to do something that will pain that person as it were. Because the flesh is there. But when the spirit of God is in your life, you will love all men. You will have joy when others are sorrowing. There is that peace in the midst of turmoil. You will patiently wait. And so on and so forth. Why? Because your entire life is by the Spirit. It's like you, when, when, you, when you see a, a cock floating on water, wherever the waves go, that's how the, the cock will be moving. You, when you are in the Spirit, wherever the Spirit is going, that's where you are going. Wherever the Spirit is leading you, that's where you are going. You are not going to be resisting. You are not going to be struggling with anything. The Spirit will take you there because you have released yourself to the Spirit of God. But when you put a block of stone in water, it sinks. It can't be moved. It will resist the, what, the flow of water. The flesh is like that piece of stone. Your spirit man, when it is renewed, is like that cock. And the Lord is saying today, let me take away the flesh and release the spirit to your life. What must I do? Simple. Lord, I am a sinner. I didn't know up till now, but now I understand. I have struggled with it. Now I know that I have been living by the flesh, allowing my lusts to rule me. Come today, Lord, and let's deal with this matter. By faith, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your life within me. I surrender to your spirit to do in me as he wills. Supply me with the grace, O Lord my God, to live as you want me to live. And beloved, you are going to begin to see the work of the spirit of God in your life. You are going to begin to see the manifestation of the spirit of God. So at this point in time, I release you to go and begin to speak to God by the Spirit of God. And I'm trusting that when next we meet, the Lord will help us. But between now and then, I plead with you, pray, seek the face of God. Trust Him. The same way you trusted Him for your salvation is the same way you must trust Him to take away this old nature and put in you the new nature. This is the crux of the gospel. When the old nature, the old man is removed and the new man is put in, 
then we see the power of the gospel to change a man's life from a sin-loving nature to a godly nature. From a nature that welcomes and accommodates sin to a nature that just loves God and desires to do the will of God. God bless you.